For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Tiger fans, welcome to episode 29 of the official Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast, bringing you all the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding your mighty JSU Tigers. I'm your host, the Corey C. Be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Apple users, rate and review the show, and everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Twitter. It all helps the cause, which is the I love. Jackson State University. Joining me today are the usual suspects, Charles Bishop and Christopher Darrell. What's up, fellas? Hey, hey, Corey. How you making it, man? Doing well, doing How well. How you doing, Corey? All right. And today we have a very special guest, Jackson State sports legend, Hall of Famer, and professional golfer, Miss Shasta Avery Hart. Welcome to the show, Shasta. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I feel so special to introduce you. Nope. We feel special. We, we appreciate you being here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, of course. Of course. And how's everything going for you during the uh, the pandemic? I hope you and your family, everyone's safe. Um. Well, for the most part, we we're you know we're safe. Um, I did have a couple of little family members pass away. Oh wow. Um, hmm. and oh, that wow. was really because all of them are based in Michigan, and obviously Michigan's a hot spot, and so um. Last month uh, was very difficult time to uh, kind of accept all of that, and you know, other than that, though, like we're just making sure that we're taking the precautions to make sure that none of that happens um, again. Yeah, well, our condolences yeah. to to you and your family. Sorry to hear that, uh, but but mm-hmm. as it relates to yeah. you know the pandemic and COVID nineteen, and you know we're now into the the month of May. How how has it impacted what you would normally be doing as far as, you know, golf preparation or trainings or your schedule? Well, right now, so I'm I'm based in Florida, and um, luckily my club didn't close. Uh, We implemented social distancing practices, and um, it it worked really well because um, the course is very big practically. The course is spread out, and... So it worked really well with me being able to still practice, but, you know, there's a balance of practice and preparation, getting ready for an event, and then there's when am I playing again? And Mm. based off of our tour schedule, everything was postponed. And so kind of just sitting there like, okay, it's cool to practice and play little money games with, you know, some other pros here and there. But, you know, what the whole purpose of playing is to compete and, Mm. um, it's been kind of frustrating uh, because we were actually gearing up to start. Um, so this year I have Symmetra Tour status, which is a tour below the LPGA. And so we're starting in, we're supposed to be starting beginning of July, but today we received an email and they said that they were um, going to cancel the first two events that were in Cincinnati and Rochester, New York. 
Um, oh, wow. Because of, uh, I guess, you know, the sponsors, I think they just had to back off and, and uh, make a commitment for 2021. And so, I mean, obviously, that that's really disappointing. You know, I started preparation um, earlier in the, uh, May 1st. I was like, okay, I got to start back again, getting ready. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm like, okay, twirling my fingers, like, well, what am I going to do now? So, well, there's some mini tours, there's some state open to play in. And so just basically want to get out there and play and, and still maintain the safety. So, so let me ask, uh, in terms of just trying to stay sharp, I mean, what, what sorts of things have you done, I guess, to, to more or less stay sharp to prepare yourself uh, for the upcoming uh, semester tour? Uh, so in January, when I began preparation, what I was doing was um, I was working heavily with my coach, and um, we were working on ball striking, um, short game overall. But one of the areas that we really wanted to focus on was when the swing starts to break down, what is my go-to? Um, mm. Short game, what's my go-to uh, chip shot? What's my go-to pitch shot and um that was something that we really were preparing for because coming down the stretch like I want to be in contention of winning a tournament I know my nerves are going to be pretty up there and you know it's so easy to to doubt yourself and you have so much time in between each shot for your mind to just wander and you can sometimes wander yourself into sabotaging yourself and um that was something that we were really preparing to get past and to be able to succeed this season. So basically, I'm taking the same mindset and the same preparation that beginning, we began in May 1st um, and just kind of carrying that over because I felt like I was ready um, at the start of the season initially. And um, our commissioner sent an email the night before I was supposed to fly out west and it was like, we have to cancel the uh, spring tournament. And so wow. right now it's kind of the same thing. Like I'm just prepping again, but um, yeah. this time I'm like, okay, I'm going to play. If I got to play some events in Orlando, you know, for a little a small purse, I just going to play. I just want to play. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask that, that as you, as you peel back the layers, like before going pro, you know, starting at, at Jackson state, what were, what were some of the, decisions or factors that led to you choosing Jackson State. I remember years ago, I don't want to date myself or you, but I, you, were, you were one of the many faces on the, on the Choose JSU, you know, idea campaign. And so talk to us about, you know, how you, what led to your decision of choosing an HBCU uh, and then choosing Jackson State. Okay, so um, my parents and I, around my junior, senior year of high school, we started sending packets out all the big D1s, small D1s, and the bigger D2 schools. And we're just trying to see, you know, who's going to respond and what kind of offer do they have. And I went on a visit um, to Eastern Michigan. I went to visit Jackson State, and then I visited another. I didn't go to University of Michigan to visit, but my dad and uh, the coach at the time was in communication and were trying to work out a deal. So had all these schools that were trying to – well, actually – Rewind. Jackson State didn't come in until later um, because I think Coach Payton reached uh, contact with my dad and 
um, he had heard about me, and he was like, you know, we'd love for you to come uh, down for a visit. And so that was, Jackson State was actually one of the last schools I went to go visit. And when I went down, I'd never been to to Jackson, Mississippi, and it was like, I just got there, and I was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> Where am I at? Like, this is a culture shock. And I just never experienced that. And so for me, I was like, okay, growing up in Flint, I'm used to, you know, I'm used to a, the, it's the North. You get it. It's fast paced. Everybody's just on the move, on the move. And so um, after I uh, left, I told my dad, I was like, um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's so far away. I don't know if I want to go to school in Mississippi. And so when we sat down and we looked at the logistics of everything, Jackson State had the best offer. And it was the best location. And it was going to be the better of, the, of, of me playing full time, not having to qualify to play every week for a tournament. And so, and also graduating no debt. And um, I was like, okay, like, I trust my dad's judgment. My mom was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you need to probably leave anyways and, and grow up and, and just learn who, about who you are. And so I'm like, okay, so we signed Jackson State. And when I went down to Jackson State, I had no idea that Jackson State was HBCU. And it wasn't until <laughs> university, I think it was University 101 class. Is that right? That's the yes. first, uh, okay, mm-hmm. so I'm sitting in class with one of my teammates, and I'm like, and they're t- he's like mentioned HBCU, and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> 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 and this is I'm so ashamed even admitting this, but I have to be transparent. Right. And and when they gave the history on Jackson State, I was like, wow, like I had no idea. Because you're only taught so much about the history in the South, and let alone Black history and with HBCUs. Mm -hmm. So after I graduated and with all my experience, I did have a greater appreciation for attending HBCU. It gave me an experience that I will always value because I've cultivated so many great friendships that I still have to this day. Oh, that that is awesome, man. While you were there, obviously you had a lot of success. Uh, I think you won nine collegiate golf tournaments, uh, four individual SWAC conference championships, setting the conference record of, of six under par. So just talk about your experience while there, uh, playing as well as just being a student. Uh, so I think being a student athlete definitely going to teach you about time management, and um, that was something I learned. I mean, I kind of already had the balance of that in high school because I mean when you get you after school you um you gotta come home to your or you gotta go to practice and you gotta come home to your homework so I kind of already had that down pat but that it was a little bit more magnified in college because your schedule is all over the place and so uh while I was there I feel like playing golf in the south was really fun for me because number one the grass is different and that's a huge factor when you are competing on a golf course because um, bent grass, I mean, I don't want to go into too deep of details, mm-hmm. but bent grass is a little easier to hit out of. Yeah. And with Bermuda grass, it's a little more difficult to hit out of, and you can get some really bad lies. And it really wow. taught me how to scram- scramble and grind and, you know, getting up and down the par 
Um, and so I definitely, my short game developed when we played in Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, um, and we went, even went up to Arkansas. Um, so I really enjoyed traveling with my teammates. Um, we did some pranks on Coach Payton. That was enjoyable. <laughs> we want to hear about that. <laughs> but yeah, I used to, um, so one of the pranks I remember vividly was, uh, so the van that we traveled in, he didn't have a rear view mirror for whatever. <laughs> I don't know. He just never decided to get a new one. So he couldn't see what was going on behind him. And so I sat directly behind him. And at the time, you know, star six, seven, I don't even know if you can still use that now, but star six, seven, I would call his phone and blow it up like 10 times in a row. And I would just call and then I would put it on mute. <laughs> and he's like, hello, hello. <laughs> and then I hang up and we all <laughs> Oh, he was so angry. (laughs) You know, just like messing around or or what have you to kind of kill some of the time on on the road. But the access to the courses in Jackson, uh, we played all around uh, Jackson. Refuge, Whistler Lakes, uh, played at Annandale, uh, Lake Caroline. Um, We really enjoyed being able to have a different course to practice at um, every every uh, season, and um, that was I would say that that was one of the things that uh, you know course management was learning how because all the courses were different, so you had to learn how to play each course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so let, me, let me ask this question: uh, in terms of you, obviously had a tremendous amount of success uh, at Jackson State, but uh, I wanted to ask this question in terms of uh, at what point did you know that you were uh, probably a professional golfer, or what kind of went into that decision to turn pro? Um, it was after, I think it was just at the end of sophomore year when I uh, won the conference championship, and that was when I set the record. Um, and I saw in Golf Meet Magazine, I saw a highlight that had mentioned that I had um, set a, a record for the conference of winning uh, six under par, and I don't know, for some reason, it just like clicked, and I was like, you know what, because I saw some of my friends, like people I competed with in golf week every week with like the college rankings and things like that, and when I saw mm-hmm. my team in there, I was like, you know what, I can do this. I was like, I can do this. Like, there's no reason why I can't do this, and so my junior year had a pretty good year, um, but then on my senior year, I kind of went the other way and played really bad the first semester, and I started to doubt that I could do this and, and play professionally. And I realized at that point I put so much pressure on myself that I finally mm-hmm. just had to re-side, just kind of go back to the basics and really rewire my mind back to what it was my sophomore and junior year. And um, I told my parents, I was like, I, I want to do this. Like, we got to figure out a way to do this. Um, so my dad started making preparations uh, of um, finding financial support to be able to play professionally after graduation. Sure thing. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, a, a great point that you ended with, that, that financial support. Uh, you know, we, we've talked to uh, from, from SWAC and, and Jackson State, uh, who were drafted into sports. And, and so many of those costs associated with, for instance, playing in the NFL, uh, the team covers. 
Uh, and, you know, you have some costs that your agent may cover and, 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 and it's sort of back built to you. But for the most part, you know, you show up to the facilities and everything is ready. Uh, but on the golfing end, a lot of folks don't realize that the golfers, via their own pockets or sponsors, you know, have to get themselves ready, travel, cover costs, you know, to compete. And as you were saying earlier, you do all this practicing, you know, to compete. Talk to about that, you know, you talked about that mental anguish in between shots and, and self-doubt creeping in. How does that also compare with the business side of it, uh, you know, the financial end of being a professional golfer? Uh, well, given my background, I don't come from a family of money. So we had to find outside support and quite a bit of it. I mean, it takes a village to be able to do this. And um, I found that when I had sponsorship, I played better uh, because mm. you're not worrying about if you miss the cut how am I going to play next week or how am I going to take care of my living expenses? Um, that takes a little bit of pressure off of you because now you're free to just play. And I find that the years that I did not have sponsorship investors or what have you, um, I, you know, that was in my twenties and I don't think I really understood how to manage my thoughts. And, I would just let the negative thoughts run away from me. And I would question, like, okay, they don't want to support me. Do they not see my ability? Am I, like, crazy? Am I really not that good? You know, it's just always a back-and-forth thing. And I couldn't seem to develop the mindset consistently enough of, you know what, okay, they said no, that's fine, on to the next. And find another opportunity. I could play through it. Um, I find that that was something that I had to finally overcome. And with, when you have, like, if you have money in your account and you are on the verge of you've got to make the cut or you're going to miss the cut and you're on the last hole and you need to birdie, your mindset's different than I have no money in my account and I still need to birdie to make the cut. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you have this, you're, you play fearless when you are financially set. And you play a little bit more fearful when you're not. And balancing the two can be difficult when you're doing it by yourself. Um, but if you have a team around you that can be able to help you with off the golf course um, agendas, then it makes it a little more easier, if you will. And um, I find that uh, that's, kind of the, the mindset, I think, of a lot of professionals. I mean, anybody can go, can just say, hey, I'm a professional golfer, enter into a professional event, um, you know, an, an open tour, not like the big tours, but, yeah, qualify for those. But um, go in there and just, you know, play, and they can shoot a billion. Anybody can say that, you know. But I think the professional golfer is kind of um, – it, the, 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 the language is so is used so much that it's like uh, I'm trying to find the word for it, but I would say that I call, call myself professional tour player because yeah. I paid so you know paid so much money, had other people help me pay for Q school to earn status, to play on LPGA, to play on the Sumatra tour. Um, so I take what I'm doing very serious. I consider myself um, a business. 
Outstanding. Shasta, I know a few years ago you you partnered with the Women of Color Golf Organization. Can you talk a little bit about that organization and what it entails? Yeah, so Women of Color Golf, um, really weird of how I connected with them. Uh, They they started following me and started liking some of my photos. I noticed it. And I was like, you know what? Um... Let me follow them back and see, you know, see what they're about. And so I saw that they were based out of Tampa, where I was living at the time. And so I reached out and said, hey, I'd love to connect with you. Would you like to meet for lunch? And so I met with Clemmie Perry, who was a founder. And she basically was just like, look, like women's color golf is just we're looking to increase the diversity and inclusion in the sport of golf for women and girls. Um, through on-the-course play, uh, mentoring, instruction, um, and the networking. And I thought it was a great idea. And I was like, you know, um, I would love to work with you for the year 2017. And so I went and spoke um, at a women's event that she was putting on. And then um, I went and spoke and um, kind of hung out with some of the young girls that were at a youth center in Tampa and just spent the time with them and uh, that was and then that was when I got on the road and, and was traveling so I could, it was very limited but some of the work that she does is phenomenal and she's really getting a lot of women of color involved with the game and um, not everybody's going to play professionally but it's nice to have the option to play as a recreation because you need a lot of key people on the golf course that can really help you with your professional goals and um, I've met so many people throughout the years that I don't think I ever would have met um, outside of golf because golf does connect you with people that you normally would not meet on a, a daily basis. You know, Shasta, we're obviously aware of, of the global impact Tiger Woods has had on the game of golf, but I'm, I'm curious in terms of uh, – uh, African Americans on the LPGA tour, uh, in terms of their influences, um, talk a, a little bit about the importance of a, a figure like Renee Powell for uh, African American female golfers. Right. So uh, when I was growing up, it was right before Tiger got on the scene, and I had just got into golf. My dad used to take me to this LPGA event in East Lansing, Michigan, and I would watch Meg Mallon, uh, Nancy Lopez like all the great uh, Janice Moody, like all the great LPGA players playing. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I'm really excited. But I still felt like there was something missing, and it was because I didn't see anybody look like me. And when I would go to my – like, when I started competing, like, in junior events, I was uncomfortable. And I would look around, and I I even said to my dad, I was like, yeah, like, nobody around here, like, there's – nobody looks like us. I was like, we're the only black people here. And he was like, you got to get over that. You got to let that go. And he's like, you just got to go play. Just go golf your ball. And so I had to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And mm. when Tiger came on the scene, that just blew me away. Because I was like, oh, my God. Like, here's finally somebody that looks like me that makes golf look cool. And now it validates my desire to go play golf. And... All the times that, because I, I went, I grew up in the Flint public school system, and golf's not popular in Flint public school system. <laughs> and so, 
um, you know, my friends, you know, they'd be like, you need middle school, uh, um, not so much elementary school, middle school and, and high school and inner city schools. You know, just like, you know, you play golf, that's kind of, you know, it's whack, it's lame, it's weird, you know, why do you play? Well, I never really took it to heart. I just felt like golf was my sanctuary and Tiger was doing it. I was like, well, look, there's somebody out there that looks like me doing it, so it looks like it's fine to play. So it wasn't until I was in college and I learned about Renee Powell and I was like, I want to connect with her. And so my sponsors, uh, my first sponsor, just across America, connected me with her. And I had a conversation with her right when I graduated college. And she was like, look, here's what you got to do. And she just gave me some advice. And I went with it, and I finally was able to meet her in person about a couple of years later. I think it was when I, yeah, when I earned my tour card, and she invited me to her event in uh, Canton, Ohio. And I was just so overwhelmed with happiness and gratitude, and I just felt amazing to be in her presence and learning about her story and that she made it, e- she made it easier for people like myself and being a part of Cheyenne Woods and Mariah Stackhouse to come behind her mm-hmm. and and play. So um, besides, you know, besides her, I met Louise Sugg as well. Um, she was, she played on the LPGA in 2001, well, a couple years earlier than that, but 2001 was her last year. So to learn about all these women and being able to meet them is what really solidified, hey, I'm like, I'm going to be able to be like them when I'm their age to some young girl that's coming up and needs to be able to have that validation. Like, Hey, it's okay to play golf. You know, when you look at those, those experiences uh, and and you attach them back to, you know, very few days, everything from, you know, the grass conditions in the the South to the man not having a review mirror, you know, uh, all, all of these experiences, (laughs) You know, make you who you are and get you through the tough times. And as we go through these these tough times now financially uh, with HBCUs and the impact that that could have on, on women's sports and with JSU's golf program, you know, being on the hiatus right now, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, the importance of women's athletics at Jackson State and particularly, you know, the golf program? So um, I know that during the COVID-19, I, uh, I knew HBCUs were going to be heavily affected by this. And um, when I learned that Jackson State uh, suspended the men's and women's team, I had just left um, PWC and was going back to play again. And I knew that I wasn't like, I just was like, I, what can I do? Like, I'm just starting back playing. Like, I'm basically starting over, if you will. And I just, I felt sick about it. I was like, there's nothing I can do. And then I was just like, you know what? Um, I wasn't really connected with with anybody at that time um, there because I'd been gone for so long. And I felt like, you know what? Like, I honestly didn't feel like I was in the place to reach out, which is crazy. But that's how I felt at the time. And um, fast forward to now, you know, with the new athletic administration um, and connecting with the new AD and, you know, like you're just talking about, like, how can we work together to reinstate the men and women's team? And I know that it's very important to have not only a women's and men's golf team, but women's sports 
because women's like participation in sports, like number one, it builds our, our confidence. Um, you learn you learn life skills. Um, you meet new friends. Um, I mean, there's just you, we get over anxiety and anger. Like it's so many benefits to women playing sports, and I think it's a necessity. Um, and especially in college, we get our, our, our college paid for. We, don't, we graduate with no debt. And I find that with COVID-19, the impact, it, it, it makes it worse because the priorities, and I see it right now with the LPGA versus the PGA Tour, the priority right now with, with dollars and what makes sense to people that are investing is men's sports. I hate to say that, and I and I, but it's that's what I'm seeing. And mm. unfortunately, if we can get past the financial burden of you know like everybody kind of set back from coronavirus, then I believe just paying attention to hey, we need to allocate dollars to women's sports as well. Like we love sports, you know, like as women, like there's no proof that or evidence that more men. Uh, participate in sports than, than women. You know, there's really no evidence to that. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, besides Title IX being implemented um, years ago, I just find that we really need to just focus on making sure women's sports is just as viable as men's sports. Amen. And the like the can we talk about the women's basketball team this year? They had a fabulous season. Go for it! Yeah. <laughs> yes, like look at they had a fabulous season. And it was just like when you, I feel like anything you invest in and you support grows. And that's a great point. Yeah, I mean it's it, yeah, like it's just it's, it's that's true, a hundred percent. And um. I feel like right now, like I at one point where I'm having conversations with Ashley and with Elise and Hakeem at uh, Jackson's uh, Jack State uh, Athletic Department, and um, I had ran into a situation where I was not sure if I was going to have sponsorship for this year, and so I had to take a mm-hmm. step back and try to make sure I was taking care of what I need to take care of for my livelihood and for my career to be able to put myself in a position so I can be able to now help Jackson State because I can't help anybody unless I help myself first. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. and and so and and then the coronavirus starts and I was just like, are you kidding me? Mm. <laughs> like I just can't believe right. this. Like, I'm yeah. all ready to hop on a flight and go, you know, go compete and you know try to win and just do something big and, you know, we're at a hope. So, you know, it is what it is. But um yeah that's that's my, my point on that for sure. Great point. And, and you talked about the importance of that support, su- supporting those uh, programs, specifically the, the women's programs. But how about supporting you in particular? Are there ways to support your efforts as a pro golfer? Are there ways for the fans to contribute to that? Um, if anything, I, you know, I – so right now I – I mean, I luckily have, you know, sponsorships. Um, I've cultivated some great relationships and, and partnerships where uh, – you know, we start back competing, and obviously um, that will definitely help with my resume, <laughs> <laughs> moving this playing resume overall. But um, 
of anything, you know, I don't ever really ask very much from um, my, you know, people that follow. Um, I just ask that, you know, hey, just I try to update on my social media, my website, and just follow along if you love golf. Uh, if you you know want to know my my journey's like um, on and off the golf course, I mean, I'm still kind of a private person, but I do share enough where you kind of get a glimpse of what I'm doing. But um, of anything, I would want people to definitely take an interest into Jackson State athletics and and really support the program. And 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 and. Initially, it really starts with me, and, and I felt I felt like I've gotten back into really following Jackson State sports, and because I had backed away for for years, and I had just some issues that I experienced while I was there that I had not been able to let go of, and I was frustrated, and I finally was able to let it forgive and let go. You know, not having a rearview mirror will do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we 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 lived in in Dixon Hall and Thoreau Hall, and it, it took us some years to to get over that anger. Absolutely, <laughs> we understand your pain. Yes, indeed. Oh my no, but, gosh, but, like this some of the stories, man. Just I just be walking, and I'm very high strong person. So, like, I'm not confrontational, but if you push me to a point where I know you're wrong, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to let you know. And I find that just some of the situations I had to let go just to save my my scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, do not engage in this. You will lose your scholarship and your parents are going to be pissed. Do not do this. <laughs> wow. Let me ask this question. In terms of African-American women professional golfers, uh, you guys are an extremely unique group. I wanted to ask, what is your relationship with some of the other players on the LPGA Tour, Symmetra Tour, Mariah Stackhouse, Cheyenne Wood, Sabina Parks, Ginger Howard? What is the camaraderie like for you guys out there in terms of being professional golfers? So we've all known each other uh, for years. And it was just not until recently where we all started to really connect with one another. And we were like, hey, we need to make it a point to stay connected with each other. We have to form our own little community of support for each other. And we have like a group chat. Uh, we sometimes have little house party calls. Um, we just we find that when the season starts, or you know, I know Ginger Howard's not playing at the moment, and and neither is Sabina Park, but we know that we keep them in the loop if any opportunities come up. You know, we we try to take care of one another. Um, I know that May twenty fifth, Sabina, myself, and Mariah are going to be in Atlanta filming a um, episode with this uh, gentleman Edgar Evans, who played college golf at Southern University. Uh, but he has a show called Saturday Foursome, and he has these episodes where he just brings in, like, different people that play golf or that play golf but maybe are in different, you know, they're basketball players, football players, or what have you. And we just talk about uh, random topics and while we're playing golf and, like, golf and conversation. And so that's going to be something that all of us will be able to connect. You know, us three will be able to connect and have dinner and just catch up and I think that that's really important for us in, in 
also embracing the players that are coming up behind us. Um, there's Sierra Sims, the Caribe, Abe. Um, I mean, there's a lot of players coming up that you're probably going to see within the next few years. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That is. That is. So, you know, how do, how do we go about – you know, if you take your experiences, you know, you talk about middle school in Flint and Flint and golf not really being, you know, a sport for for that that marketplace, and then you come in south and playing it, and and now as a professional, how do we better grow the game? You know, for women in general, but especially minority women. Like, what what are some things that that you've gained over the years that you think can be added back that that will get folks attracted to it? Um, one of the things is representation. So you got to have, like, it's nice to have players out there that look like you um, because you're going to feel motivated to want to try it. And number two, there needs to be some form of access. And golf is extremely expensive, and it adds up. Um, you know, you, you you have to factor in, when you play golf, or you can self-teach yourself, you know, on YouTube or what have you. Most of the time people get instruction. You got to pay for lessons, um, equipment, uh, green fees when you're going to play, um, traveling fees if you decide to compete um, in tournaments. So access is, is a huge thing um, and being able to afford it. And not everybody's going to love golf. You know, you can expose people to golf and they're either going to love it or they're not going to love it. And that's okay. Um, but I believe that being able to to have programs that just give minority children access to the game to find out, do you like it or you don't like it? You just mm-hmm. need the opportunity. And if you like mm-hmm. it, great. Tell, you know, whoever, you know, tell whoever's your support base, I want to do this. I want to play. And hopefully there'll be some structure, you know, it's set in place where this child can be able to progress. And, and play. And I know that my story and my pathway, my father played golf and he brought me into a game and he taught me up until I was about 12 or 13. And then he turned me over to a professional uh, instructor. And, you know, it was, he was always that person that was pushing me. Some days I, you know, I just, you know, we'd be on the course arguing and I'm like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And he's like, No, I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> your your coach said this, do this, this, and this. And then, you know, we're going back and forth. But I knew prior to that, I told my dad, I want to do this. And so it was just the interest level was there, and the self motivation was there. So if you give the kids the opportunity, and then let them figure out if they want to do it or not, and then just seeing the representation out there like okay cool like I see somebody looks like me playing it it's not so bad I can do this I can do it great great all right good stuff good stuff and uh, Shasta I know you kind of mentioned recently reconnecting with Jackson State and the athletics department and I know you were also a couple years ago you were inducted into the JSU Sports Hall of Fame so what was that like and what does that honor mean to you so that came out of nowhere, and I I almost was going to ask them to push it back a year um, because my, I had, like, my season was, like, mediocre, and I was just finishing up my season, and I was like, I don't even know. Like, I, 
don't even feel like I just at that point I was like, I don't even feel like I should be up there. Like I had a crappy season. <laughs> I'm up here the Hall of Fame. I'm like, should I just wait until next year so I can have a bomb season and then finish it off with the Hall of Fame induction? But me to say, I was like, no, I'm gonna go and do it. And so um, when I hadn't actually, I passed through Jackson prior to that. Uh, I was driving from Little Rock, Arkansas. Mobile, Alabama, and I stopped in Jackson, and I went to AAC, and I just kind of walked around a little bit, which is like security is terrible because I could have been a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> like I'm walking around and nobody said anything to me. And so, um, well, you could you could you could still pass for a student though. And also, you can you could still pass for a student. But honestly, it was 90 degrees that day, and I had a black hoodie on with black leggings, and I was dying of heat stroke. <laughs> I was like, that could have been looking crazy right there. But um, I had, like, I felt really good, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go through with the induction. And so um, when I finally went back to the induction, uh, it felt really good. It felt like home. And uh, I was really overwhelmed uh, with the honor and uh, being able to, I haven't seen Coach Peyton in years, so it was good to connect, reconnect with him and uh, ran to some people that I had went to school with there and it was just really cool. So I was very honored to have been thought of so early. It was kind of early and so I was, I was in, never really anticipated what happened when I was 32, 33. Thirty-two, excuse me. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, that's something I will always cherish the rest of my life. No doubt. Now, Shasta, I can't let you get out of here without asking. What is the one swing thought that you would uh, tell our, our, our weekend hackers, uh, those of us who are, <laughs> you know, struggling to break ninety? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, when you're swinging, the one swing thought that I have is um, making sure that you focus on where you want to send the ball. So you need a target. Mm. Um, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our thoughts about, okay, to put the club here, put the club there, do this and do that. And it's like we forget, okay, where am I supposed to be sending this ball? Why? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to first be like, okay, I'm going to send it to this, you know, colorful brand, uh, leaf, you know, in that tree in the distance. That's my target. I'm focused on that. And I think with that, you just feel like you want a nice, smooth swing. And you just finish with a well, a, a balance. You just balance on your left side. And I feel like sometimes that takes away the lot hurt jersey type of movements a lot of amateurs do in their swings. Mm, thank you. I will take that and run with it. Charles, you need it. I'm glad somebody gave you some advice. The only issue I have with that is Chuck said for those of us who are trying to break 90, and that's more like those of us who are trying to break 110. Uh, uh, <laughs> so you want advice for – so that was advice for somebody breaking 110. I think it's somebody break, trying to break 90. I mean, sometimes I get away from that. And my ball is like sailing a different direction, and I'm like, you need to focus on your target on the next shot, and the rest of the shots before you when you finish this round, because uh, see, that was perfect. you can get mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you can get out of it. Like, it's you literally playing for four and a half hours, and your mind just wanders everywhere, and you're just doing, you're thinking about stuff that happened 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, you're, you're going in waves. Like, once you hit your shot, you think about whatever, and then you go back, and you get ready for your shot. you got to focus for 45 seconds, and you go back, and you do whatever you want to do. Um, but I find that sometimes people can get mixed up and they try to focus, walk into the ball, and then when they get with the ball, their mind's elsewhere. That's the opposite. Right. That's a, that's a great tip. Yeah, I like stuff. that. <laughs> good stuff. Well, Shasta, we, we truly appreciate you for coming on the show. Uh, but before we, we end, though, in the show, I definitely have to uh, mention that, you know, obviously we just celebrated the 50th commemoration of the Gibbs Green uh, tragedy at Jackson State University. So I know, uh, Neely, you've been pretty vocal about that. So are there any thoughts that you want to share on that? Yeah, sure, Court. Uh, you know, the, the four of us uh, uh, are, are JSU through and through, and there's no way to be associated with Jackson State and not be impacted by what happened on May 14th and 15th of 1970, even if you were just socially on the plaza. You know, the plaza exists and, and the memory and honor of Philip Gibbs and, and James Green. And you know, when you do podcasts, try not to date these things. Uh, but with today being May 15th, literally 50 years to the day since that tragedy happened, it's just important for, for us on this uh, podcast as we talk about Jackson State sports and all the greats who come through 1400 Lynn Street you know, to just pause and recognize and remember, you know, what took place on that campus that makes us unique uh, to any college, any university in the United States to have such a tragedy like that occur at the hands of law enforcement. Uh, and so today being, you know, 50 years later to all those students uh, who were there in 1970, especially the graduating class who were going to get their 50-year diplomas, uh, this weekend, in which COVID-19, you know, disrupted, and it's going to be rescheduled. We just want to let everyone know that they're, they're very much in our thoughts and prayers, and, and it's the I love, and we cherish the memory of uh, James Green and Philip Gibbs. No doubt. All right. Well put. Well said, well said. And uh, Shasta, before we let you go, uh, is there do you have a website or any uh, social media links where uh, your fans can follow you? Yeah, so um, I have a website, a personal website, ShastaAverhart.com. I'm on Facebook. I have a uh, golf page, uh, Instagram, ShastaAverhart. The only thing that's different is my Twitter account, and it's I am S. Averhart. I'm not sure what I was thinking about when I did it that day, <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't put my name. <laughs> like, it's too, doing way too much, but uh, that's where you can find me on Twitter as well. Good deal. Sure yeah. All right. And thank you so much, guys, for having me. It was really fun. I enjoyed the conversation. Next time we'll have snacks. <laughs> Please bring the snacks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that'll do it for episode 29 of Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. Thank you to all of our listeners. And again, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast. Apple users, rate and review the show. And everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Twitter. Leave a question or a comment while you're at it, and we'll be sure to read it on air. We're looking to do some big things with this platform to aid the athletics department, and it all starts with you. Downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. And tell every Tiger that you know. We're on all podcast outlets, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
and so on. And we'll be posting each episode on our Facebook and Twitter pages. As always, thanks for your support. Go Tigers. Hashtag the I love. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.